Welcome to the Explorer Poet Podcast, an exploration of the blurry line separating our physical world from our abstract realities. You talk about something called a soul's high adventure. Man is born with a certain functioning. A kind of house of meaning that we dwell in. A clandestine land found underneath your floorboards. These represent a common human inheritance. A common vocabulary of rituals and symbols. Let's let you know where you are. Such and such a hero has done so and so, and that is your what am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. you got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it. You make it work for you. You never give up. Follow your bliss. I mean, find where it is and don't be afraid to, to follow it. Conversations and stories, myths and reality, science and the gods we worship, the esoteric and the everyday. Come explore with me. My guest for this conversation is my good friend, Jen Morrill. Jen is an editor, creator, mother, and true friend. She's a person unafraid of exploring the depths of her psyche. Jen and I have similar backgrounds from a faith perspective, having been born into and exited the same religion. We spent countless hours discussing our personal and shared histories, religion, psychology, family, relationships, growth, and healing. Today, we decided to record a conversation discussing a movie that we both love called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I always enjoy my conversations with Jen, and now I hope you do as well. Okay. Hi, Jen. Hey, Josh. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for jumping on here with me. Yeah, uh, fine. So we have a, today's kind of a different kind of a podcast because I usually have people come on and we talk about their work or, you know, the research that they're doing or books that they're writing, stuff like that, psychology, art. But uh, I had you on not to necessarily talk about what you do for work, uh, but because we're friends and uh, we enjoy... We often enjoy talking about different different topics, uh, different stories, for example. And so we usually talk about movies or we talk about a book. We talk, we talk a lot about music and songs. And, yeah. um, and we, uh, you know, I, on this podcast, I've um, done a couple of solo episodes where I tried to analyze stories. And I think it's really fun, but I think it's more fun to do it with somebody else than, yeah. to, than to do it by cool. myself. And so... Um, just for the folks listening so that they can understand uh, the, the game plan for today, uh, I had you I had you come on, Jen, and hopefully if this is fun, this is something we can do going going forward. But um, we decided to talk about a movie that we both love. Mm -hmm. And uh, I let you pick the movie and you chose Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. the purpose of today is basically just to, to go through the movie and think about it or discuss it in a way that uh, you and I find ourselves talking about movies. Cool. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you remember when this movie was made? I can't even remember. Ooh. It's been over a decade for sure. You know, I can Google it really quick if you want. Okay. <laughs> um, when it first came out, we didn't watch, my husband and I didn't watch rated R movies. Ah. And so we watched the edited version of it and they cut out, like a major like half an hour of a scene where mary kisses the doctor mm, yeah <laughs> because it's like adulterous or whatever and so i missed like that whole thing i had no idea what happened which is kind of funny yeah that's that is kind of uh one of our big connections is that we both grew up in the same religious context and then later in life mm -hmm. left it and then that's also been one thing that's uh been kind of one of our connections is 
talking about religion, healing from religion and kind of moving on mm -hmm. from religion. But um, I think I did the same thing, actually. I think I remember watching it and being like, I have no idea what that movie was about. Yeah. Because, because they cut out, you know, we just, yeah, being, being Mormon, you don't watch rated R movies. And so. Right. Um, and the movie is so like cut up anyway. And yeah. then you're like cutting up even more. It's like, yeah. whoa, you know what's going on? Absolutely. But it was 2004 when it came out. Oh, 2004. That's, that's the year mm -hmm. I graduated high school. That's a long time ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. That's 19. It's been 19 years. So, wow, um, yeah. Uh, so the, I guess the reason I asked what year it was made is because the thing I wouldn't want to do is, is, you know, have some s spoilers for people, but the movie's old enough that if you haven't seen it by now, it's like, it's too bad. We're going to spoil yeah. it for you. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so there's a, I have kind of a format that I wanted to talk through the movie with, uh, with you. And, mm -hmm. um, the first thing that I, that comes to mind is just this idea of stories and what are stories. And really, uh, there's, there's this author historian, Yuval Noah Harari, and he talks about, he talks all the time, whenever he talks, he talks about how humans think in stories. Mm. And, um, I think when, when I watch movies now, when I read books, what I think about is not just that this is a story, but this is like somehow a, uh, a glimpse into how people think and how people exist. And, um, when, uh, when I think about how to interpret a story, um, I think about these four different styles uh, or four different ways that you can read a story or watch a movie or, um, you know, listen to a song and these, these ideas, these four styles, they come from, I got, I got them from reading Joseph Campbell. I also, you can find them in some of the Jewish uh, or, or Hebrew texts because they have interesting ways of analyzing stories as well. The four ways are literal, meaning you can just read the story and just take it for exactly what it is and say, okay, that's real. That's what it means. So mm -hmm. when you, when you read the Bible and God created the earth in seven days to be a literal interpreter, you say, okay, yeah, it really took seven days for God to create, you know, all of existence. Um, the next way, the second way is allegorical or metaphorical. Uh, they're a little different. Allegorical is more like you think about the way that Jesus taught in the New Testament, where he was trying to get people to think beyond what mm -hmm. is being said to get, help them think about things in new ways. Um, but you could also think about it as metaphorical where, you know, if you read this story, it means something else that you're supposed to take from it. Yeah. Uh, the third one is stories give us moral laws or you're supposed to read things you're supposed to read stories in such a way that it teaches you how you're supposed to behave and so it goes moral law and literal interpretation go hand in hand really well because you know if the prophets did this if the saints did this if god said to do this then you've got to do it and so um you know moses coming down from the mount with the ten commandments is a really simple way to tie the literal interpretation and the moral interpretation together. Hmm. And then the fourth, the fourth way that you could read stories, and this is the fun way. This is like the interesting way. It's the way that I like to do it. And, and hopefully this is what we can accomplish today is to read the story in a mystical or psychological frame. Hmm. And what that means is that you look at the story, not just metaphorically, 
but you look at it as if it's a description of what's happening inside somebody's own psyche. Or an, an easier way to think about it is rather than stories is dreams. And so I talk a lot about dreams on my podcast. I think dreams are this really interesting window into the self, the psyche, the soul, whatever, you know, however you want to think about it. Um, and when you interpret a dream, you then take everything, everything inside the dream and you assign that to the dreamer. Mm -hmm. And so when you, when you read a story in that way, everything in the story, you don't see the, you don't see all the characters as separate characters. You don't see all the settings and scenes as separate settings and scenes. You see them as different aspects of the main character. Right. Or if you put yourself into that, into that situation, then it's like, these are all aspects of you. And so, um, that's, yeah. that's the interesting way to read stories. And you helped me with my dream interpretations. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is fun. Um, so then also, if you think about it that way, then, um, well, it just, it, it, you have to think about what every detail represents and you can think about it. What's interesting about psychology is that it can apply to an individual person, mm -hmm. but almost the exact same analysis can apply to groups of people. So whether you're talking in psychology, whether you're talking about the individual or the culture, the individual or the society, it's almost, it's almost, uh, directly translatable between the two. And yeah, so, so sense. yeah, like an individual would have a, you know, a, a shadow side that they're not fully aware of the things that they're doing or mm -hmm. the reasons why. And then, uh, you know, cultures and societies have shadows as well. That's just a Definitely. simple example. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, okay. So when we get into it, uh, I think this is the way that I want to talk through it and I want to hear, I, I know I'm talking a lot right now. I'm trying to set the stage, but, um, I'm really interested to hear your diff, just different take, uh, uh, you know, that might be different than mine, your, your understanding or your interpretation of some of these things. But, um, then there's, there's other, the other two things I want to do is I want to talk about why people like stories or said another way, why do people think that they like a particular story? And so for the example I would give there is like Peter Pan. When people, it, it seems like everybody seems to like the story of Peter Pan on some level. And it makes sense because it's like a very common kind of reference. It's something that's referenced all the time in our culture. And everybody knows the story and everybody kind of has this, um, I think everybody deep down has this wish that they could go to Neverland and live in a tree and swim with mermaids and all this. Um, but I think that the, the, when, when people you ask, if you were to ask somebody, why do you like Peter Pan? Or maybe I'll ask you like, why do you think people like Peter Pan? Why do people like Peter Pan? I mean, I think it just goes to what you're saying. Like they don't want to grow up. Right. That's, that's exactly what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's this idea that, oh, you can be young forever and you don't have to grow up. So the that's one question that I want to ask about this movie as well. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. We'll get to it. We don't have to answer it right now. But why do people like this story or why do they think they like this story? Hmm. And then the the question that's follow on to that is, why do people like, why does the story actually resonate with people? Why is it actually such a like Peter Pan, for example, why is Peter Pan seem to be so culturally influential 
Why does mm-hmm. it keep coming up over and over? And why do you know, why does it stick with us? And if, again, if you were to ask somebody why they like Peter Pan, I think that they would say, you know, that the, there's this fantasy of never growing up, of being a kid forever. But, yeah. but if you were to look at it from a, you know, the mystical psychological perspective, why is Peter Pan so impactful? Why does it stick around? Why does it uh, connect with people in our society? And I think it's actually because our society is made up of lost boys who don't have mothers. Mm. And they see this story, even though the imagery doesn't, doesn't speak to them in this way. You just see like these kids fighting with a captain, you know, Captain Hook. And as a kid, it's really fun to imagine winning against an adult. It's like what kid didn't fantasize about being able to like beat up an adult you know, like if, if, uh, you're watching a movie and there's kids that can, you know, corru- like there's this, this movie I like to watch with my kids, it's called three ninjas. And it's about these, these little boys who are, you know, they train in karate, mm-hmm. um, or ninja or wh- whatever the ninja fighting style is. And they fight adults and they win. And so when kids watch it, they just get so excited and they're just, you know, they're into it. It's like, wow, mm-hmm. this is amazing. But, uh, I don't think that with Peter Pan, that's actually why people watch it. It's not just mm-hmm. this fantasy that kids, you can be a kid forever and kids can win against the, the, you know, the evil pirate. I think it is that, that in our society, we don't, m- most of us are lost. We ha- we're lost boys and our parental figures, they, they behave more like a captain hook than they do, uh, you know, a loving Wendy. Mm. And so, yeah. From that, uh, so those are the two questions that I want to ask um, about this movie as well. Like, why do people think they like it, and then why does it actually resonate with us? Mm. So we okay. can look, we can look at it like from the literal perspective, or we could look at it from the psychological perspective. Okay. That okay. Fun. Okay. So I'm going to take a breath, and uh, <laughs> maybe maybe um, let you just, uh, if you don't mind, just kind of intro the. The, the movie, give us a quick synopsis and, okay. and maybe you could just talk to us, talk through it uh, from a literal perspective. What is literally happening? How can okay. I can't remember their names. It was Joel is Joel and Clementine. Clementine. That's right. Okay. So Jim Carrey is Joel and Clementine um, is Kate Winslet. And the movie is on a, not a um, straight timeline. So it starts with them meeting, but it's not actually the first time that they're meeting. And so they fall in love. They're happy. They connect in all these deep ways. And Joel is like this depressed, you know, lonely man. And Clementine's kind of this wild, carefree person. And the combination is just like, sort of magical for them um but then eventually like time wears on and they they start getting bored with each other or irritated or resentful and the relationship starts to crumble and Clementine wants a baby Joel doesn't they break up or like he says something hurtful and then she decides to have goes to this company that's able to wipe out her memories of Joel and then he finds out that she did that and is really hurt and decides to do that to himself sort of out of spite <laughs> for her. Um, 
I don't know if you want me to tell the whole story, but no, that's okay. We can, we can get into okay. the details as we go along, but from a, yeah, it's an interesting idea from a literal perspective that you could go, like if you're done with this person and mm-hmm. you, you don't want to think about them, you don't want to feel the way that they made you feel, then you can just go to this doctor and have your memories erased. I love the idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there probably are, there are probably are people that it wouldn't, it would be nice to stop thinking about them. But well, I think it's interesting when, I mean, when we go through these breakups, that's what a lot of people try to do, right? They disconnect from them on social media. They don't talk to them. They erase their pictures. Like they're doing everything they can to literally like remove them yeah. from their memory. Yeah. The good and the bad, right? It's a weird, it is kind of a weird reaction that we have because if you, well, first of all, if you have just friends, like a regular friend, you don't usually have some kind of big breakup with a friend. Right. The the relationship's not so, you know, culturally defined that you have to set set like a specific. I don't know. Uh, you just don't have to define it that way. There's no like DTR determining the relationship where you're like, okay, we're friends now, and then later right. on you're like, we're not friends now. There's no beginning or end. It's just yeah. like there's no yeah. formal structure. Sometimes mm-hmm. there are people who you know they they. Maybe they don't understand boundaries. They don't respect you enough. You realize, oh, I can't be friends with this person. But that feels that feels very different than for whatever reason in our culture, it seems like if you break up with somebody in, from a romantic relationship, it's like you never knew each other. Yeah. I think it's one of the saddest parts about life, honestly. This person that you deeply cared about, you suddenly are strangers. Yeah. It's, it's actually really weird if you sit and think about it for a second. It really is. Because if if both the people are healthy, it seems like you should be able to split ways, part ways, but then still remain, you know, in some kind of a healthy boundary, you know, at least communication. Right. Yeah. I agree. Um, but this story from a literal perspective is a romance. Mm-hmm. And so I, if I was to ask you the question, why do you think people like the story or from a literal perspective, why do you like the story? Uh, what would you say to that? I think I do like the idea of being able to wipe <laughs> someone out um, when they're you're so hurt from something, right? Yeah. But I like the way the movie looks at it because Joel is getting his memories wiped, but then he's regretting it in the wiping. Yeah, and he's as, really, as it's you know, happening. I, yeah, he's like, I don't, I don't actually want to lose all these memories, even though there's all this pain and everything. And so I think it's a really beautiful way to look at it, um, that we can take the good with the bad. We don't have to just wipe everything out and yeah. we can integrate it into our experience in a healthy way rather than just like cut it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think I agree. It's like a really interesting take on this this idea. So just mm-hmm. from a for me, if I was to say why do I like this movie, um, I think any movie that does a romance like there's a romantic tension that doesn't feel too like overproduced. Like it's it's right. it seems realistic in a way that mm-hmm. that can just be a that can be that can draw you in that tension. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a desire to see, there is a desire I think that everybody has to see romance work out. 
mm-hmm. even though it's like in the real world, it's, it's few and far between. Right. But, um, I think there's that real desire to see the romance work out, but then there's also to see the tension when it's not working out is also engaging for people. But then the, yeah. the storyline of being, it's like, it's creative in a way where there's this, there's some fictitious uh, process or, you know, medical procedure you can go through to have specific memories removed from your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I would say this is, this is, I guess, outside of the analysis, but of like the literal versus psychological, but I would just say that the movie's done in a really interesting way. Like you were saying, yeah. it's not a, it's not a straight timeline. It's not linear. It kind of bounces around and then, um, the way that they get to the procedure and he's laying in bed. And so then you're seeing most of his, you see most of the, of his experiences as memories rather Mm -hmm. than, rather than in real time as they happen. And so just from a filmmaking perspective, it's really interesting as well. Um, sorry, I was just going to say, I think another part that I is interesting to me is it doesn't say for sure how many times they've done this. Like it's possible they've wiped each other out multiple times, but they keep finding each other and coming back. And the possibility is that they'll just keep continually hurting each other, loving each other and doing the cycle forever. And I think that's kind of fascinating to think about. Like I know in my own life, I have chosen to get back with a partner over and over and it's experiencing the same heartaches and highs and lows and what is it about us that compels us to do that? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I never really thought about it that way, that it could be a cycle that's happening over and over. But even the way the movie's portrayed, it's it seems like it could be. And in the end, again, spoiler alert, but in the end, there's not actually a, a clear resolution. There's mm-hmm. no clear sign that they've figured it out and they're going to be able to move forward. But at the very end, it seems like they've come to this place where they go, okay, well, let's try. Let's, let's not, let's not go right back to erasing yourselves or erasing each other. Yeah. Let's try. And so I think that's, yeah, there's just, there is a lot. Yeah. There is a lot about the movie. That's like, it really is a good movie and it pulls you in. Yeah. Um, why do you think, why do you think that the movie actually resonates what is like, what's the deeper psychological meaning? Uh, I think it's kind of just a microcosm of life, like the light and dark of all of us and the good and the bad, like, um, like no relationship is perfect. We all think it is or want it to be, but like these two characters are really not very compatible but we're rooting for them because there's something about the other that's very, they can connect with and find yeah. a deeper meaning. in. And I think we all want that. We all maybe just don't see it in a realistic light that it is going to be a lot of shadow with the light. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a good answer. I think um, there's like a definite pull between them. There's like this, uh, they are, they're like opposite sides of a magnet. They're polar, mm-hmm. they're polarized. Joel, who's played by Jim Carrey is, um, he's very quiet. He's very passive. He's timid. He's cautious. He's like a pushover. Yeah. And he never wants to, he never has anything to say. He never like has the words to share. Yeah. 
And then on the flip side, Clementine, who's played by Kate Winslet, she's so, she's just complete the opposite where she has, she can never stop talking, even if she has nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> she's just like pouring, it's just pouring out of her. And so where he's quiet, she's loud. And where he's timid, she's spontaneous. Mm-hmm. And, um, so this is where I, this is like where I want to jump in and start talking about it as if it's an individual psyche or, uh, another way to think about it is it's just, it's a dream. So whichever form of conversation is easier, we could, you know, we could follow both tracks, but if it's, let's say it's a dream and let's say that the dreamer is Joel, the main, the okay. main, he's the protagonist of the story. And then, and then Clementine comes along and she's the antagonist. And so what that would mean from this perspective is of if it's a dream that Joel is dreaming, then he is himself and she is also a part of him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so if that was the case, then the character, the part of him that I would see her being is his anima, which is mm-hmm. what, that's what Carl Jung would have called it in his, in his work. It's the female aspect of the man inside the man. And so there's this, um, this polarity, they're so different, but that's why they're drawn towards each other. And from a psychological perspective, that speaks to a part of the self that's been neglected and is desperate to be seen and to be integrated. You used that word earlier. And I think, I think that sums up the movie is this idea of like, how do you actually integrate these, Mm -hmm. these painful things from your, you know, from yourself, from your childhood, from your experiences, from your life. And so, um, Clementine, again, like loud, crazy, she's a big risk taker. She wants to take risks. Uh, she wants to do things like go out on the ice when it's frozen and she wants to sneak into people's beach houses when they're not there and drink their wine. And, um, she wants a baby. (laughs) She wants a baby. Yeah. She's like ready to have a baby. She wants, uh, she wants to create something new with Joel, Mm -hmm. right? If, mm-hmm. if you look at it that way, Joel's the main character, Clementine's his anima, and she's saying to him, we need to create something together. Mm-hmm. And that's how, that's how the process of individuation works. Yeah. And so the interesting thing about it is that she's also drawn to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you look at him from a, you know, a, an outsider's perspective you look at his persona, he's just this really boring guy right? who has, he never has anything to say. He never has anything exciting to do. So why Mm. is it that Clementine is drawn to him? And I Mm. think it, I think it's explained by this idea that, uh, if she is his anima, then he is her lifeline. So he, she needs him to pay attention to her so that she can grow as well, so that she can escape not only what he's struggling with, but what she's struggling with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> so um, it's really interesting. I, I, I don't know where to go directly because there's so many different characters we can talk about. But um, if you remember in the movie when... Uh, they finally decide in his, they're in his dreams, but they finally decide that they don't want to be erased. Yeah. It's fascinating too. Cause I don't know if you thought about it this way, but she's in his dream. 
that's not like the real her, right? That's not, yeah. that's not the real her out in the real world. It's her in the dream. Right. Yeah. And in the dream, she says, meet me at the beach or meet me at the beach house or whatever, mm -hmm. or on the train. I can't remember wherever they went on the train to the beach. In Montauk. Yeah. Yeah. In Montauk. And, um, so he says, you know, they're in his dream state, like deep in his repressed memories. Yeah. And she says, meet me there. And he goes, okay, I'll meet you there. And then he goes there and she's actually there literally. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's either one of two things. This whole movie is about him. It's all in his psyche. This is all his dream state. Or she went through the exact same process and came to the same conclusion deep within her own psyche. About the not erasing the memories. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because in the way that, cause you don't see any of her procedure where she's having her memories right. erased. You only see mm -hmm. his and she's in the dream with him. But, yeah. but the fact that she shows up in the same place where they had talked about meeting up inside of his mind, it means that either, either, you know, that this all is about Joel and Clementine is really just Joel's anima mm -hmm. or from, if you were to look at it from a literal perspective, like literally how did she know to go there as well? Then during her own procedure, she must've gone through the same process of trying to avoid having her dreams deleted so that she could keep Joel. Yeah. And then in the same way, she must have he must have said to her, meet me in Montauk. Whoa. I had not yeah. thought of it like that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't, you know, I didn't write the book or I didn't write the screenplay, so I don't know exactly what the, the authors were thinking about it. But uh, the fact that she actually shows up there, it's, it speaks to me of like this idea of the anima that this whole story is part of some collective psyche or like individual psyche. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Playing out in these different characters. Yeah. I like that. Um, so in, when they're in his dream state and he's trying to figure out how to avoid her memories being erased, what they start to do is they go to memories. They start to go to memories that she was never in to begin with. And so the doctors are having a hard time tracking it. They, you know, they keep losing the connection or whatever it is. They never really yeah. explain the science. They don't have to, Yeah. <laughs> but they keep trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's happening. Why is, why is, uh, why aren't they able to track, you know, his, his dreams. And it's because he's going to memories. He's taking her into memories they're like running around in his brain and they're going to memories that she actually wasn't a part of. Mm -hmm. And, um, the doctors are eventually able to track them down and, and erase, keep erasing. And so Clementine says to Joel, you know, we need to go deeper. We need mm -hmm. to go to memories that have been repressed. And, um, and so she starts to say, we need to go to places where you've been humiliated. Mm. And so yeah. from, from my perspective, it's, it's the same kind of thing is happening where in the literal world, when they're out on the ice and she's saying, Joel, come be risky with me. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, no, I don't want to do that. But she's like making him do it. Or they break into this beach house and she's like, Joel, come be risky with me. Take some risks. That's, uh, that's like the literal version of it. And then in the dream state, you see how she's also saying, 
we've got to take some risks. We've got to, we've got to go places you don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, from a Jungian perspective, that's the role of the anima. Uh, okay. The, the anima is the, or, you know, from a, a, you know, from a woman's perspective, it would be the animus, the man inside of her who's saying, you know, we've got to, you've got to do some things for me and they're going to be, mm-hmm. they're going to be risky. And so, uh, she, she says to him, you know, we need to go to places where you were humiliated. Yeah. Um, but honestly, even before they got to the humiliation, they're just going to memories that she wasn't in and they end up where they end up, uh, in Joel's memory where he's a child and he's under the table and he's crying. And so if you think about Joel's persona, like the the personality that he shows to the world, who he is. He's this really quiet guy who has nothing to say. Mm-hmm. And then in the kitchen scene where he's a little kid under the table, he's like crying and he's trying to get his mom's attention and he's trying to get his mom's attention and he's trying to get his mom's attention. And his mom, who of all people who should be interested in you, it's your mom. Mm-hmm. She's She would rather just have drinks with the babysitter. Mm-hmm. And so she's like avoiding him and avoiding him and avoiding him. Yeah. And so of course he develops this persona where he's this guy who doesn't have anything to he doesn't have anything mm. to say because he even says like he thinks he doesn't have anything interesting worth sharing. Because nobody would ever listen to him. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh so then so then when he gets older, there's this you know, there's this woman, Clementine, and she's saying, like, talk to me, talk to me, say something, mm-hmm. say something to me. And he, he's like, ah, I, you know, I don't have anything to say. And so this whole process of, you know, it looks like a romance between Joel and Clementine, but it actually, mm-hmm. in, it, I actually see it as, as the anim, as Joel's anima working on him to pull him out of this persona. If he had, you know, she's trying to pull something out of him, trying to get him to see that he has things worth sharing, but those those, you know, he's, he, those memories of someone not being interested into him are so old and Mm -hmm. they started so young that it was just a reality of his existence. He doesn't actually think about them as the cause for who he is today. Yeah. Wow. I like that reading of the movie. Yeah. And in a, I think in a way like that's, that's the individuation process is you go you have to you have to like court the anima animus inside of you as mm-hmm. your other half and in order to do that you're going to have to take risks and so once they they get to that point you can kind of see why Joel ended up as Joel but then she says you know we need to go farther we need to go deeper we need to go to humiliation yeah so how do you think that works out in the end well in Joel's case all I know is that at the end of the movie, like I said, you don't know, you don't see him fully healed. You don't see him like fully ready to commit to a person, mm-hmm. but he's at a place where he says, wait, like, just wait, like, let's just try. Let's try. Yeah. And, um, it would have been really easy for him in the past to have not said anything. And when he didn't say anything and she became frustrated to just give up. 
mm-hmm. but instead of giving up, he, he finally, like, even if it seems like in a, it's like a really small way, he like spoke up for himself and he said, just wait. Yeah. And that's, that's, all, that's what he needed. He also says to her that he doesn't see anything about her that he doesn't like at the end. And she's like, we'll just wait. You will, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of it is, uh, that man, their relationship though, like you, you, you come to see why their relationship didn't work out from like a literal romance perspective. Mm-hmm. And even that is a lot of, um, basically they're projecting onto each other. A lot of things they like, they see each other as these, for whatever reason, they're just, um, really interested in each other from, a. you know, like the first time they meet on the train, and they, she like kind of forces herself into his apartment and they, they kind of just yeah. spend days together, uh, just, you know, having fun, just doing, doing things that are fun and just talking and getting to know each other. There's this immediate connection between the two of them. And in the real world, I think that happens a lot when, when you meet somebody and there's like an immediate romantic interest, like these feelings well up in you, you know, you get this Twitter mm-hmm. patient. What's actually happening is that you're projecting your ideals onto somebody else. And so he says to her, he says to her, like, I don't see anything about you that I don't like. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, you will. (laughs) Because he's like projecting onto her this idea that like, oh, here's, here's this fun, Mm -hmm. spontaneous, adventurous person. And he, his own psyche knows that that's what he needs. He needs somebody who can do that for him because he doesn't, he doesn't do it for himself. Yeah. And from her perspective, whatever it is that she needs, she needs somebody who can be a little bit more grounded, a little bit more responsible. And in a way, they're both just really, again, polarizing. They've got to pull themselves towards each other so mm-hmm. that so that they can balance each other out or balance themselves yeah. out. And that yeah. often happens in real relationships. And those fa- that phase of projecting you know, uh, an infallible part, like infallible character onto your partner, that phase can last for a long time, years, decades, uh, until eventually, you know, you can snap out of it and realize like, oh, this, they're actually not that person. That's just the person that I really want them to be, but they're just a human being with flaws, just like everybody else. Yeah. That can be a hard reality. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's, it's a hard one. Um, but there are a bunch of other characters too. And mm-hmm. if, if we're going to talk about this as like a dream or as, as, the, as somebody's psychology, then there's like all these other characters that are actually interesting too. Because Joel and Clementine are the main story, the, even the, like the main romantic story. But there's this other smaller romance. There's actually a couple other romances that are happening. Yeah. Um, there's, the, there's the doctor, Dr. Mirzwiak. And, and Mary, his assistant, you find out that they have some kind of a fling. Mm-hmm. And so then there's that romantic situation, but then there's also the doctor with his wife and what, you know, that struggle with the, the assistant there. Yeah. And then there's also, uh, Stan who's played by Mark Ruffalo. And, uh, he also has, a, seems to have kind of a little fling going on with Mary who's, who's played by Kirsten Dunst. Mm-hmm. And then there's Elijah Wood who plays Patrick and he 
uh, is a really interesting character to me because he's he's trying to he's like seeing he's seeing the dreams of both these people. He's mm-hmm. in their houses while they're asleep and he's like stealing things from them. And then yeah. he's using this information to court Clementine outside of the the whole situation. And so yeah. Clementine doesn't even know that Joel still exists because she's had her memory erased. Mm-hmm. But this guy, uh, Patrick, who's played by Elijah Wood, he's trying to use Joel's like secrets, like his memories, his inside knowledge of Clementine to woo her or to like manipulate her in a way. Yeah. He like reads his journals and uses his lines and yeah. Trying to be Joel. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that funny though? The way that they do the movie is really interesting because you, you get your dreams erased and you don't go to like a hospital to lay in a bed Mm. where, uh, you know, where you're in this situation that's not your own bedroom. But instead, you lay down in your bed and these strangers come into your house and they're in your house all night long while you're asleep. <laughs> it's very strange. And they're drinking beer. And yeah. Making out. Yeah. They're like smoking doobies and <laughs> taking their clothes off. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so when I think about... So if you if you think about all these different characters, you know, I was saying that you could look at Joel as if he's the main character and then Clementine is an aspect of him. That's his anima. So it's inside of him. All these other characters, you could do the same thing. They're all inside of Joel. They're all just different parts of him. Yeah. And so when I think of that Patrick, who's Elijah Wood, he's like this, um, he's like a very weak person. He's, he's kind of dim-witted and weak and, and selfish. And mm-hmm. in a real way, he is kind of like Joel's child self. Okay. So he's like this kid. He's like the the child, the young boy who's still trapped inside of Joel. Yeah. And so when he um when he tries to interact with women, with Mary the assistant or with Clementine, in either case he's always very unsure of himself. And right. it comes across in such a way that that they don't really like him. Mhm. And I think Clementine puts up with him. But Mary almost just kind of like brushes him off, like, you know, leave me alone. Yeah. Um, yeah, because because uh, Mary, you know, if Mary's also a woman inside of Joel, then he's all, she's also another reflection of his anima. Hmm. So who would the doctor be? The doc, that's a great question. The doctor is, um, he's like the adult in the room. He's the one with experience and he's got the power and control. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I have a label for that, but I would say he's like the, he's the, he's like this projection of what an adult should be doing. But then he's also manipulating Mary because she's already been with him and he had her memories wiped. Yeah. So these are all like, this is how Joel dates women. <laughs> <laughs> he like, he doesn't, He's not, Joel is an undeveloped person. He's like an an immature Mm -hmm. person who, you know, if he's a boy like Elijah Wood, then he has to imitate other people in order to try to get a girl to be interested in him. So again, he's, he doesn't feel like he's interesting enough. And so he has to imitate somebody else. Yeah. 
and yeah, then, the doctor is like so wise and like quoting Nietzsche or something. I can't remember who he quoted. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She's like, oh, she thinks he's so smart. Yeah. And so in another, it's, he's doing the same thing. He's like quoting, he's, he's imitating other people to impress this, this mm. woman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, if, if Clementine is Joel's anima and she, what she sees in Joel is just somebody who's like grounded a little bit like, um, he, he's a little bit calmer than like way calmer than she is. And just somebody who can like balance her out. Then Mary is like the, even the more immature version of his anima who's looking yeah. for somebody who could, who can like balance her out even more. Who's looking for, you know, she's to take care of her. Exactly. Yeah. She's like enamored with the doctor because he's so much more experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so then that leaves one other character, Stan, who's Mark Ruffalo, Ruffalo, Ruffalo. And, um, who actually, I think he's a great actor. I think everybody in the movie does a great job, but, um, Stan is when it comes to the actual procedure, Stan's the one who's trying to do it, right? He's like the operator. And when it comes to Mary, Mary hangs out with him. Mary likes him because he's not trying to impress her. Mm. And so in a way, Stan is kind of like the calm, cool, collected version of Joel. He's like the, when we're, when we're young and we go through traumatic experiences, we all struggle to take, you know, whatever we had to do in that situation to cope, to survive, we had to, we, we take that thing with us going forward. And so that's like Elijah Wood's character, the child. But yeah. at the same time, we, we also, we come up against situations where, especially people who, when, when you're a child and you get put into these situations where there should be an adult. There should be somebody mature enough to handle the situation, to show you what to do or to walk you through it. Um, you, you have to become that adult yourself. You have to become the operator. And so that's who yeah. Stan is. Stan is this guy who's like, he doesn't expect anything from anybody. He doesn't like, he's not, he, he's a little sad that he doesn't get to end up with Mary, but he doesn't, yeah. pers he doesn't pursue her. He's like, hey, I'm taking care of myself. I'm just going to mm. be me. And um, every everybody who grows up, like we get these different pieces of ourselves. There's this old man we project in our head that has like the control, the power, the wisdom. There's the adult who's like the calm operator who can just get things done and and just kind of move on passively, not, not like become too emotionally invested in things. Yeah. And then there's that child who never grew up. Those, those are all aspects of all of us. And so yeah. they're all there with Joel in the room as he's dreaming. <laughs> and, and then the wife of the doctor, what's her role? Um, she's, she might, she might be the, another anima projection. And she's the anima projection who's supposed to be with the older man. She also brings awareness to Mary about that her memories were wiped. Yeah. What does that mean to you? <laughs> um, I don't know. Like she's 
she's brave enough to tell her she's but she's being taken advantage of by the doctor but she is like wise yeah i think and seeing everything for what it is yeah she's kind of like the older version of the anima who's who's had the experiences and so those experiences are no longer in her shadow and and so she points that out to mary because for mary the knowledge of the doctor and their prior you know affair or tryst or whatever it was they that information is in her shadow yeah and so that older version of her just like in kind of a in kind of a callous un, uncaring way she just kind of says like oh we've been here before yeah 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 and then mary from there has to take that information and she ends up sending the tapes to joel and clementine to let them know that's right yeah yeah a woman scorned Mm-hmm. <laughs> when she's hurt, she's just going to make sure that everybody else gets it too. Yeah. But in a way, it's also, um, if you think about the anima's role in healing the ma- the man, mm-hmm. that's what she's doing as well. Because the whole movie, what it's about is avoidance. Mm-hmm. The whole movie is about avoiding memories, avoiding truths, yes. um, avoiding feelings and so the what happens when we avoid is that we end up that child forever Mm. so um the character the character who's played by elijah wood he's the he's the outcome of people who avoid forever and mary the woman who's like another projection of the anima she's like the shadow anima because Mm. she is what happens to women who ignore what's happened forever, right? She doesn't remember that she's already made this mistake. Yeah. And so the whole movie is actually, this is, so this is my interpretation of why the movie resonates. Mm -hmm. Because in our society, in a lot of our homes, in our relationships, in how we're taught to exist, we're, we're almost conditioned to do our best to just move on and forget just move on and don't think about it don't remember it it's best if you just don't dwell on it i've literally had people in my own family say that to me it's best if you just don't dwell on these things (laughs) and those are people who are you know late in life and who are still traumatized by these things because they, they haven't been they haven't dwelt on them and so the to me uh the way i think about it is you know we we all live in this culture where it's best just to avoid difficult topics. It's best to act as if they never happened. But in order for us to heal, we actually have to do the opposite. We have to go back and spend time with them because a lot of those things happened to us when we were children. A lot of those happened to us when we were so small, we could fit under the table and Mm -hmm. cry, or we could fit in the sink and cry, you know? And in order for us to heal, we don't need to actively work to have those memories erased, to have them removed or like blocked. The opposite is true. We actually need to go deep into those memories and spend time Mm -hmm. with them because we're not kids anymore. We're not children anymore. We're adults. And so, and so when you go into that memory, you don't just have to deal with the child, but you do need to go back there and help the child. 
and help mm-hmm. them get through it. And um, actually, I, I listened to this podcast a couple of weeks ago. There's this guy. Um, his name is Andrew. Uh, I want to say Andrew Marshall. And he does this podcast called The Meaningful Life. And there's this, he had this guest on who was talking, he's a therapist and he, he helps people work through this very thing, this avoidance that they've been doing their whole life that's kept them trapped in their complexes and their neuroses. And he, he suggests a very simple practice where you put yourself in the mind of that child, that child self of who you were. Mm -hmm. And you have, um, you, you just sit down with a piece of paper and you write a letter as if you're that child and you describe, you know, these moments that were difficult, these moments where you wish like an adult had been there for you. Yeah. And then you, you know, you write it all out. And then what you do is you set that aside and then you grab another piece of paper and you write a response as if you are the adult. Hmm. Because in reality, that's, that's what you are. You're still that child, but you're also an adult now. And so by having that communication between these two things, these two parts of yourself, you can actually help yourself heal beyond whatever was holding you back. Yeah, definitely. I've had experiences like that where I'm trying to reparent my child self. And yeah, sometimes I feel a little bit crazy doing it. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> it feels really healing after. Yeah, yeah. It can, um, well, yeah that feeling of craziness is like, that means you're like right there on the edge and like you can either go one way or you can go the other, but if you can integrate it, if you can actually heal it and integrate it, then. Yeah. But I mean, that's why, that's why people don't want to go back and talk about stuff. That's why they don't want to go back to these memories, you know, where they felt humiliated or violated or whatever it may be. And, um, I think that that is why this movie resonates with people is because Mm -hmm. this movie is actually the whole movie is, a it's, it's a demonstration of how the process of individuation works. Mm. So Joel, he, he courts his, he, he tries to court his anima and his anima pushes him into these situations. And so the other thing that's fascinating about it is that, is that, um, the discovery is made in a dream state in a dream. He's actually paying attention to his dreams. And I think that's a big part of it too, is when we pay attention to our dreams, all of the characters that appear in our dreams, we can start thinking about them in the same way that we've been discussing the characters in this movie. You start to see them as just aspects of yourself. And as you spend more time with those characters, uh, not avoiding the emotions or the memories, but actually engaging with them, that's that's what brings about a wholeness of the psyche. Everything, Mm -hmm. every part of the psyche gets a say. And so that's, that's wholeness. Yeah, that's really powerful. Do you think that, so when they get back together in the end, or we don't know for sure that they're back together, but when they have that conversation at the end, they don't have the memories and they've avoided, do you feel like they're doomed in a sense to just repeat what they just went through? Like, are they sort of faded in a way because they never actually dealt with the hard thing? Well, it's interesting because they may not have reached the conclusion of the hard thing, but mm-hmm. in a real way, they did, they did start the process of dealing with them. 
because in their relationship and from a literal perspective, like they never talked about these things that were hard for Joel when he was a kid. He didn't tell her stories about his mom and he didn't tell her stories about the time that there's that scene that's really sad where he's with those other young boys and they make him kill that bird. Yeah. These are parts of him that he hid from her because he was hiding them from himself. So even without the procedure of the doctor, he was already doing this thing where he was trying to erase memories. Mm. And all of us have done, all of us have experienced oh, that. Yeah. And in the process of trying to avoid erasing memories, he takes her, his animus, and together they just go explore all these memories that were painful mm. for him. And that is the process, you know, that's, that's mm. like the, you can, it can be, you can begin it by just paying attention to your dreams. You can begin it by writing letters to yourself. You could begin it by having, you know, heartfelt, open, vulnerable conversations with a friend or a loved one, mm -hmm. or you could do it through, uh, through therapy, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or psych psychoanalytical therapy where you yeah. just, you have somebody tr who you can, you know, start to open up all these things with. There is no, like, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know what it would look like to reach some final conclusion of healing and growth. You know, because I think for mm -hmm. the rest of our lives, we're all, that's the path is that we're all trying to figure things out forever. But yeah. in a, in a, in the movie, at least it seems like they, they actually did start that process. Okay. Yeah. I like that view of it. Yeah. It's not just mm -hmm. a, it's not just a romance, you know, right. it's like this romance that teaches us that if we can't, if we can't solve the romance that's within us mm -hmm. between you know, the parts of us that, that are in our shadow that we've hidden away that we're trying to avoid. If we can't solve that romance within us, then there's, there's never going to be like a solid romance in our external lives mm. because we're always just going to project onto the other person, all of the good characteristics that we hope they have. And yeah. then anytime that they don't live up to those projections, it's going to feel like this, like, like you don't know this person at all mm. and it's going to feel pretty traumatic in the moment. Yeah. So is this how you tend to view all movies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every single movie that I watch now, I go like, okay, this is, I think about it in a couple of different ways because there's like this, uh, you're looking at it psychologically that you could just putting it into it, the, the idea of a dream is easy because then you can say like the dream is the dreamer and all of the contents are the dreamer. And then the dream, the dreamer also participates while, while the dreamer is observing. Yeah. And, and so dreams are, dreams are wacky in that way. But, um, yeah, all, all movies can be thought of that way. And, and some of them are obviously more interesting than others, but, but I also think of movies as movies, music, books, you know, novels, whatever it may be. These are all artistic projections of what the collective unconscious, all of us together are trying to figure out. Yeah. And so a lot of movies like this one, I, like I was saying before, you could look at it as if this is all in Joel's conscious, like sub, uh, his subconscious, yeah. his, his individual psyche. But you could also look at the entirety of our culture and our society and you could say, oh yeah, we are this thing that has this masculine side that's struggling and this feminine side that's been completely ignored mm -hmm. and the entire society needs to do this same kind of process where 
the the overly masculine turns back towards the feminine and we we court each other again to get some balance and to do some healing yeah i like you told me before like that's how you view music when you hear a love song or something you're you're thinking of it in terms of ourselves like the two parts of ourselves rather than singing to a woman or to a man yeah and i really like that way of looking at it yeah yeah i think i it, it, there's this like real thing in our day and age where we we focus on love we really focus on love romantic love above almost everything else and what does that speak to that speaks to like a deep need within our society to find a balance between the two sides yeah 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 then the there's the only other characters that really come up in the movie are also interesting because it's almost like a microcosm of the same problem and that's um joel's sister carrie and his brother-in-law ron who's played by david cross uh he's like one of my favorite actors i love david cross he's so funny but basically they just have they just they're just demonstrating the same type of pattern the same type of like they're always fighting she always thinks he's too childish he just gets high to avoid his situation and then at the very end, when they're at the beach, he takes an airplane and he wants to fly the airplane, but it crashes mm-hmm. and it's like a model airplane. And it's yeah. just, it's a really good, the imagery of it is like very good with this idea that he's, a, he's still a child who wants to be an adult. He wants to be a man. He's playing with toys, but he, he breaks his toys <laughs> and then she's mad at him. Like his anima just wants him to grow up. It's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, so I think, you know, people, I, it's a great movie and I think people like it because of the romance and the storytelling and, you know, the the tension. But I think what's what's really hitting home is like this desire for all of us as individuals and also as a culture to transcend our situation and find wholeness by courting, yeah. by courting the opposite side, the, the you know. Yeah, the, I love that. Yeah. Um. Any other final thoughts? No, I thought that was great. Really interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for sitting here and doing this with me. I, I know I yeah. talked a lot. Uh, if we do it again, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to lean on you to do a little bit more of the talking. But okay. it's, it's your first time, so go <laughs> easy. Um, I guess for my final thought, there's this quote from the very end of the movie as the final memory is being erased. It's his final memory mm-hmm. of her, where he they. They were at the beach house and she's starting to be erased. And so Clementine says to Joel, this is it, Joel. It's going to be gone soon. And so Joel says, I know. And Clementine, Clementine says, what do we do? And Joel says, enjoy it. Oh, chills. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's also a big part of it is um, mm. life goes by really fast and it just ends up being feeling like just a bunch of memories. So while, yeah. the, while, the, while we're making those memories, we really have to enjoy it. Be present, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Jen. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. I appreciate That's it. That's great. Thanks, okay. Josh. Thank you for listening to the Explorer Poet Podcast, exploring the blurry line between our physical world and our abstract realities. I hope you find this and every episode worthwhile. To find links to my guest websites and social media accounts, and for all Explorer Poet content, please visit my website, explorerpoet.com. You can also follow on Instagram at ExplorerPoet or on Twitter at ExplorerPoetPod. 
If you have comments or suggestions, please send an email to explorerpoet at gmail.com. Please follow and rate the podcast on your favorite app. And if you really, really want to be supportive, please share an episode with a friend. Thanks again.